This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. and welcome to Amazing Grace for another week. I pray you'll be blessed by our program today. Uh, My name is Warren and here at Amazing Grace we would love to hear from you. If you have a question for us or maybe you'd like to make a comment on something that we have said, please don't hesitate to contact us. Also, if you have a prayer for yourself or a family member or friend, look, we'd we'd be happy to pray for you. And we would be happy to do that on air or off air and, and uh, whatever you would like. We've prayed for a number of people off air. We've never actually had a request so far to pray on air, but look, we'd be happy to do that for you. Also, we have two free giveaways, the book entitled Steps to Jesus. Um, at this time of the year when well, Christmas is looming, um, and what is Christmas about? It's about Jesus. And so, what a wonderful book it is, Steps to Jesus, uh, all about how to get to know him better. And if you truly want to get to know him better, I mean, sure, you, there's lots of things that you can do, but reading this book will definitely help, help you to do that. The book, uh, The Desire of Ages, is another book that we're giving away, and it's a wonderful book about... Really, it's really about the Gospels in the Bible. And I know that you would be very blessed if you were to uh, read this. And we're going to read from both of those books today. And just some excerpts from them, um, just to show you how spiritual they are and, and how much they will lead you closer to Jesus. And today that's going to be a bit of our theme, uh, being led closer to Jesus. Now, if you would like either of these books or you'd like us to pray for you, obviously you'd need to contact us, and you can do that in a number of ways. Um, most people still continue to contact the station, um, but if you would like to contact us, um, and our email address is triple nine amazing grace at gmail.com. That's 999 Amazing Grace, and Amazing Grace is only 1G at gmail.com. Or you could text or call us on 027 229 6624. That's 027 229 6624. All right, friends, before we go any further, let's just pause and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you that at this time of the year as we head towards Christmas, many people are thinking about Jesus, and maybe they're thinking about baby Jesus. But Father, we thank you for the most precious gift that you've ever given this world, which is your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you that he lived and died, that we may have eternal life. And I just pray today, Lord, that uh, your spirit will open our hearts and minds to the message that we have for our listeners and their families today. And so we just leave ourselves in your care, praying this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, um, we're going to um, just talk a little bit about Christmas. You know, um, once you get past about the end of October, Christmas comes upon us very quickly. I found that as I've got older, I know as you get older, the time goes faster. But, you know, Christmas is almost here. And what is the purpose of Christmas? Christmas is a 
holiday. Now, many people are not aware that the name holiday actually comes from the word holy day. And obviously Christmas being the birth of Jesus, his birthday is a holy day. All right, so that's why we keep it. And because this country and most people that lived in it over in, in the past and um, the countries that we have immigrated from, you know, and our families have, we're almost all Christian. And so this is why Christmas is such a big deal for most of the Western world because it's remembering the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, in our lives today, sometimes well, many people don't even think about Jesus. It becomes about family. Now, family is a great thing. You know, family is an important thing. Families come together. Um, and I think that's, that is important. And I, I think that's a very positive aspect of Christmas. But the purpose of Christmas is remembering Jesus. You know, when Jesus was here on earth the first time, he said to the Pharisees, You search the scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. Wouldn't it be so sad to live in a world where we believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and yet we had no connection with him? And many people don't. But you see, the connection with Jesus changes everything. It changes everything. You know, so we said, what was Christmas about? Well, it's about family, that's good, but it's about lots of gifts and presents. And that's not quite so good, you know. Um, We see that retailers are always pushing, you know, you to buy more. Um, supermarkets are pushing you to buy more food. And there's nothing wrong with celebrating by having good food, some good drink, and spending time with family. But it would be so sad if we missed the reason that we actually have Christmas, and that's because of Jesus Christ. The people in the time of Christ, they missed him. Or a lot of them did anyway. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back soon. And according to the many stories, including the ten virgins, it seems like that a lot of people won't actually be ready. They won't know that Jesus is returning, and they will miss his coming until it comes to a point where it will do them no good. Friends, we don't want to see anybody lost. You know, I was lost, and now I am Saved, and I don't want to see anyone lost because I know what it feels like to be lost. The emptiness of not knowing Jesus Christ, the emptiness of not having a relationship with Him. And you can today have a relationship with Him, for that's what Christmas is about. It's like Easter. Easter is about Jesus too, it's about His death, and Christmas is about His birth. But many of our holidays or holy days point us towards God, point us towards Christ. And so let us not be like the Pharisees or the people of Jesus' day that missed, missed him. Let us not miss Jesus when he returns in the clouds of heaven very soon. And we can, by focusing on him and giving him our life each and every day, we can be born again Christians And then we can be ready to receive him and to share him with all of our families and friends.
heavens ring. God reigns, let the earth be glad. Listening to Amazing Grace here on Manawatu People's Radio. Okay, we've got the health tip of the week, and today we are talking about Christmas, um, and it's an important time to spend time with family. So, when we think about the health tip, what would be a good health tip for Christmas? Okay, not to overindulge would be an important one. Perhaps we know that eating food and then going to bed on a full stomach isn't good either. So perhaps having our main meal at lunchtime. Uh, I know that sometimes there can be two sets of families and you, you go to one for, for lunch and, and the other for dinner. But so important not to eat too much before we, we go to bed. Um, and if we're going to drink, let's not drink too much. Uh, let's, let's have a good time. Um, remember, uh, to everything in moderation and you'll feel much healthier the next morning and your body will thank you for that. You know, your body never thanks you for when you overindulge, whether it be in food or in drink, because the next day you don't feel too good, you don't feel too hot. So buy food um, that's not all just fattening, but try to have salads. Um, also, nothing wrong with having, you know, s- some some meat, some healthy meat to go along with it. Nothing wrong with having an, uh, some dessert. But try to have balance so that there is some healthy aspect to the food that you're eating. Um, that can sometimes be by making even your... Um, your little snacks, rather than making them chippies, uh, you can you can go for things like um, dip and things like carrot and um, capsicum sliced. Or you can you can actually any any one you want. You you can you can try. And sometimes people use a bit of cauliflower um, or pieces of Broccoli and with a dip, those types of things can be very healthy for us. So I think the, the main thing is to enjoy Christmas, to have fun and enjoy time with your family, but also make sure that you take care of your health um, and moderation in all things. Don't over um, indulge. You know, some families it's like who can put on the biggest spread, but then it's up to the people who are eating not to eat everything that's on the table. So just eat enough until you feel full. Um, and remember, a glass of water at some stage won't do you any harm either. It will actually help you. Yeah. 
Jesus hears. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, He's the open to Amazing Grace here on Malawatu People's Radio. Okay, we're looking at preparing for Christmas and we looked at the people in Jesus' day who weren't ready for him. Are we going to be any different today? Are we going to be ready for him That's a question that only you can answer. The essence of Jesus' teaching was self-surrender. Until he had given up on himself, no one understands how obedience and victory can be spontaneous. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why we have so much trouble with the question of whether obedience is natural or deliberate. The person who insists on deliberate obedience, on forcing himself to obey, is the one who hasn't surrendered himself yet. But the one who has given up on himself and realizes that he can't do it, the one who begins to experience natural and spontaneous obedience. And if self-surrender was the substance of Christ's teachings, then this places obedience by faith rather high on the priority list. When the disciples were sinking out on the sea, they didn't say, God, help us. They said, Lord, save us. A person who looks towards heaven and says, God, I need some help, 
maybe admitting something about his lack of surrender. If I say to you, I wish you'd come over and help me mow my lawn, and you, being a friendly sort of mood, say, yes, I'll come over, what do you expect? Do you expect me to say, there's the lawn, here's the mower, and I'll be back I'll be out back in the hammock? What do we mean by the word help? We mean we'll do it together. You'll do part, I'll do part. In fact, the word help usually indicates that a person to be helped does most of the work and the one helping just adds a little extra. When a person is going down in the water for the last time, he doesn't say, God, help me. He says, God, save me. What does that mean? It means, God, you're going to have to do it all. Peter, when he was sinking, said, Lord, save me. In Matthew thirteen forty-five and 46, Jesus talked about the pearl of great price. He said that you're going to have to sell everything that you have in order to get the pearl. In Luke fourteen thirteen, he said that we can't be disciples unless we have given up on everything. It will cost everything we have. And all through the Gospels, Jesus speaks of the cross, not his cross, our cross, which is death for us. We must die. We must give up on ourselves before we can understand what sanctification and obedience and victory are all about. You know, that's the, that's the challenging part of being a Christian is the surrender part, surrendering your life, not just once when you were baptized, but surrendering your life to Jesus each and every day. And that's the, the part that, that people struggle with, the giving up of self, because you see, pride doesn't want self to give up. Pride still wants to have some input. But look, when you realize what actually sin is, some people would say that sin is just transgression of the law, and, and absolutely it is. But there are, sin is much worse than that. It's what we think. Jesus said that what you think in your mind is what you are. So, you know, what we think is what we are. Also, the sins of omission, the things that we know that we should do and we don't do, that's sin. In fact, the Bible says, Paul says in Romans 14, that whatever is not of faith is sin. So whatever we do by not trusting in Jesus is sin. And that means just about everything that we do, if we're not surrendered and we're not trusting in Jesus, everything we do is sin. And that's why we realize, if you truly realize how bad sin is, that you cannot save yourself. You cannot ever be good enough to warrant eternal life by what you do. It's only by casting ourselves on the mercy of God and acknowledging that there is nothing good in me. You know, David, one of the greatest men in the Old Testament, said, my sin is ever before me. He said, I was born in iniquity. He acknowledged that he was a sinner. The great apostle Paul said that he was the chief of sinners. Compared to other people, he wasn't the chief of sinners. But that's what he saw himself. Is because, you see, the closer we get to Jesus the worse we look in our own eyes. The further away from Jesus, the better we look in our own eyes. And so if you think that yourself, that you are a pretty good person, then you're a long way from Jesus. However, and sometimes people have to come to the end of themselves, they have to realize that there is nothing good in them before they can really come to a point of repentance come to the point of surrender. Many Christians who go to church for their whole life never surrender their lives fully to Jesus, and that's probably the most saddest thing that could ever happen. Because, you see, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the secret. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
Friend, if you have never surrendered your life to him, it is the greatest thing that you can do to surrender your life each day to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow him to work in you to do and to will of his good pleasure. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Welcome back to Amazing Grace here on Manawatu People's Radio. As we promised, at the top of the show, the top of the program, we are going to look at the book Steps to Jesus and also the book The Desire of Ages. And so we're going to read a selection here um, from the book Steps to Christ or Steps to Jesus, and it's entitled Repentance. One of the greatest <clears throat> subjects that needs to be preached. You see, the human heart, the, the pr- proud human heart, does not want to repent. But I can tell you that it's one of the greatest things that you can do. When you repent, then all the weight of the world falls off your shoulders you know, there have been many times where I've done things and I can remember one time I was involved in a little accident and it wasn't my fault, but still I had part to play and it was easy for me just to pretend that I hadn't been part of that and nobody knew except my conscience knew and I couldn't live with that and finally I went to my boss and told him what had happened and I remember that after telling him he didn't fire me in fact he gave me a better situation it put me in a much better situation with him because he knew I didn't have to tell him but he was a Christian himself but he knew that um, and, and he respected the fact that I had Repented when I didn't have to. And the weight that was lifted off my shoulders. And many times people go around with all this weight weighing them down because they won't repent. But anyway, friends, let's have a look at this wonderful subject of repentance. How can a person be put right with God? How can a sinner be made righteous? Only through Christ can we find harmony with God and be made holy. But how are we to come to Christ? Many people are asking this question. Crowds of people on the day of Pentecost saw how sinful they were. They asked Peter and the other apostles, What shall we do? Acts 2.37 Peter said, Each one of you must turn away from your sins. A few days later, he answered the same question by saying, Repent, then, and turn to God, Acts 3.19. To repent means to be sorry for sin and to turn away from it. We will not give up sin unless we see how sinful it is. There will be no real change in our lives until we stop loving sin and decide to turn from it. Many people do not really Understand true repentance. Millions are sorry that they have sinned. They even change their ways because they are afraid that their wrongdoing will cause them suffering. But this is not true repentance. It is not the kind that the Bible tells about. These people are sorry that sin made them may make them suffer, but they are not sorry for the sin itself. Esau was sorry to lose forever his father's blessing and riches because of his sin. Balaam was afraid that when he saw the angel standing in his pathway with a sword in his hand, he said, I have sinned because he was afraid of losing his life. But he was not really sorry for his sin. He did not change his mind or feel terrible about his evil plan. Judas Iscariot sold the Lord to those who planned to kill him. Then he cried out, I have sinned by betraying an innocent man to death. 
Matthew 27, 4. This confession was forced from his guilty heart by a terrible fear of punishment. He was afraid that he might have to suffer for what he had done. But he felt no deep, heartbreaking sorrow for the selling the perfect Son of God to die. He was not sorry that he had turned away from Jesus, the Holy One of Israel. When Pharaoh, king of Egypt, was being punished by God, he was willing to say he had sinned. He wanted to escape further pain and loss, but he turned against God again as soon as the suffering stopped. All these men were sorry that sorry that sin had brought bad results, but they were not sorry for the sin itself. When we yield to the influence of the Spirit of God, the conscience is awakened. We begin to see how broad and sacred is God's holy law, and that it is the basis of God's government in heaven and in earth. Jesus, the light that comes into the world and shines on all people, shines into the secret places of our mind and shows up the hidden thoughts. We see how righteous God is and we feel afraid to come, guilty and unclean, before the searcher of hearts. Then we see the love of God, the beauty of his holiness and the joy of his purity. We desire to be made pure so that we can be friends with God again. David's prayer after he had greatly sinned shows us what true sorrow is like. His repentance was sincere and deep. He did not try to make his wrong acts seem small. He did not try to escape the results of what he had done. David saw that his sin was great and that his heart was unclean. He hated his sin. He prayed not only for forgiveness for his but for a clean heart. He wanted the joy of holiness to be brought back into harmony with God. He wrote, Happy are those whose sins are forgiven, whose wrongs are pardoned. Happy is the one whom the Lord does not accuse of wrongdoing and who is free from deceit. Be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love. Because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins. I recognize my faults. I am always conscious of my sins. Remove my sin, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Create a pure heart in me, O God, and put a new and loyal spirit in me. Give again the joys that come from your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. Spare my life, O God, and save me. And I will gladly proclaim your righteousness. Psalms 51, 1-14 Repentance of this kind is beyond the reach of our own power. It comes only from Christ who went to heaven and has given us spiritual gifts. Many people do not understand repentance, so they fail to receive the help Christ wants to give them. They think they cannot come to Christ unless they are first repentant. They believe that their repentance prepares the way of forgiveness in their hearts. It is true that a person must repent before he is forgiven, for only when he is truly sorry for his sin will he feel the need of a saviour. But Must the sinner wait until he is repented before he can come to Jesus? Must the need of repentance keep the sinner away from the Saviour? The Bible does not teach that the sinner must repent before he can accept Christ's invitation. Come to me, all you who are tired and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11.28 Christ's grace, his power, leads a person to truly repent. Peter made this clear when he said of Jesus, Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The Spirit of Christ leads us to repent and be pardoned by God. Every right desire comes from Christ. He is the only one that can make us hate sin. 
Every time we feel a desire for truth and purity, every time we see our own sinfulness, we can know that the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts. Yes. That's beautiful, isn't it, friends? Only good desires come from God. They come from Jesus Christ. And notice what these men all said. They didn't say, help me. They said, save me. And that's what you need to say to Jesus. Ask him to come and to save you, not only from sin, but from the sinful world. And my prayer is that you will give your life to him. For he is the only one that can save you. to Amazing Grace here on Manawatu People's Radio. All right, in our last segment uh, today, we're going to look at the book, 
the Desire of Ages, which is cover, covers the Gospels, um, but it just opens up so much. And, I, and so as I read from it, uh, I just hope that you will um, appreciate the depth of spiritual understanding. And today, um, this chapter is, is based on Matthew seventeen twenty two to 27, uh, Mark nine thirty to 50, and Luke nine forty six to 48. And it is entitled, Who is the Greatest? You know, in the world that we live in, that's the most important thing. Who is the greatest? But in God's kingdom, it's the opposite. You lead with humility. And we're drawn to people who are humble. Anyway, today we're going to read from this chapter, chapter 48, Who is the Greatest? On returning to Capernaum, Jesus did not repair to the well-known resorts where he had taught the people, but with his disciples quietly sought the house that was to be his temporary home. During the remainder of his stay in Galilee, it was his object to instruct the disciples rather than to labour for the multitudes. On the journey through Galilee, Christ had again tried to prepare the minds of his disciples for the scenes before him. He told them that he was going up to Jerusalem to be put to death and to rise again. And he added the strange and solemn announcement that he was to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. The disciples did not even now comprehend his words, although the shadow of this great sorrow fell upon them. A spirit of rivalry found a place in their hearts. They disputed amongst themselves which should be accounted greatest in the kingdom. The strife they thought to conceal from Jesus, and they, and they did not, as usual, press close to his side, but loitered behind, so that he was in advance of them as they entered Capernaum. Jesus read their thoughts, and he longed to counsel and instruct them, but for his, but for this he awaited a quiet hour when their hearts should be open to receive his words. Soon after they reached the town, the collector of the temple revenue came to Peter with a question, Doth your master not pay tribute? The tribute was not a civil tax but a religious contribution, which every Jew was required to pay an an, annually for the support of the temple. A refusal to pay the tribute would be regarded as disloyalty to the, to the temple. In the estimation of the rabbis, a most grievous sin. The Saviour's attitude towards the rabbinical laws and his plain repoofs to the defenders of tradition afforded a pretext for the charge that he was seeking to overthrow the temple service. Now his enemies saw an opportunity of casting discredit upon him, In the collector of their tributes, they found a ready ally. Peter saw in the collector's question an insinuation touching Christ's loyalty to the temple. Zealous for the master's honour, he hastily answered without consulting him that Jesus would pay tribute. But Peter only partially comprehended the purpose of the questioner. There were some classes who held to be exempt from the payment of the tribute. In the time of Moses, when the Levites were set apart for the service of the sanctuary, they were given no inheritance amongst the people. The Lord said, Levi hath no part or no inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance. Deuteronomy 10.9 In the days of Christ, the priests and Levites were still regarded as especially devoted to the temple and were not required to make annual contribution for its support. Prophets also were exempt from this payment. In requiring the tribute from Jesus, the rabbis were setting aside his claim as a prophet or teacher and were dealing with him as with any commonplace person. A refusal on his part to pay tribute would would be represented as disloyalty to the temple, while on the other hand the payment of it would be taken as justifying their rejection of him as a prophet. Only a little before, Peter had acknowledged Jesus as the Son of God, but now he missed an opportunity of setting forth the character of his Messiah. By his answer to the collector, 
that Jesus would pay the tribute, he had virtually sanctioned the false conception of him to which the priests and rulers were trying to give currency. When Peter entered the house, the Saviour made no reference to what had taken place, but inquired, What think thou, Simon, of whom did the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter answered, Of strangers. And Jesus said, Then are the children free? While the people of the country are taxed for the maintenance of their king, the monarch's own children are exempt. So Israel, the professed people of God, were required to maintain his service, but Jesus, the Son of God, was under no such obligation. If the priests and Levites were exempt because of their connection with the temple, how much more he to whom the temple was his father's house? If Jesus had paid tribute without a protest, he would have virtually have acknowledged the justice of the claim and would thus have denied his divinity. But while he saw good to meet the demand, he denied the claim upon which it was based. In providing for the payment of the tribute, he gave evidence of his divine character. It was made manifest that he was the one with God and therefore was not under tribute as a mere subject of the kingdom. Go thou to the sea, he directed Peter, and cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh out. And when thou hast opened the mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Take, take that money and give it unto them for me and thee. Though he had clothed his divinity with humanity, in this miracle he revealed his glory. It was evident that this was he who thought David had declared, Every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon the thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Psalms fifty ten to 12 While Jesus made it plain that he was under no obligation to pay the tribute, he entered into no controversy with the Jews in regard to the matter, for they would have misinterpreted his words and turned them against him, lest he should give offence by withholding the tribute. He did that which he could not justly be required to do. This lesson would be of great value to his disciples. Marked changes were soon to take place in their relation to the temple service, and Christ taught them not to place themselves needlessly in antagonism to the established order. So far as possible, they were to avoid giving occasion for misrepresentation of their faith. While Christians are not to sacrifice one principle of truth, they should avoid controversy when all it is possible to do so. When Christ and his disciples were alone in the house while Peter was gone to the sea, Jesus called the others to him and asked, What was it that you disputed about among yourselves on, on the way here? The presence of Jesus in his question put the matter in an entirely different light from which that it had appeared to them while they were contending by the way. Shame and self-condemnation kept them silent. Jesus told them that he was to die for their sake and their selfish ambition was a painful contrast to his unselfish love. When Jesus told them that he was to be put to death and to rise again, he was trying to draw them into conversation in regard to the great test of their faith. He had been ready to receive what he desired to make known to them. They would have been saved bitter anguish and despair. His words would have been brought consolation in the hour of bereavement and disappointment. But although he had spoken so plainly of what awaited him, his mention of the fact that he was soon to go to Jerusalem again kindled their hope that the kingdom was about to be set up. This had led to questioning as to who should fill the highest offices. On Peter's return from the sea, the disciples told him of the Saviour's question and at last one ventured to ask Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And unfortunately, we're going to have to wait till next week to see what the answer is. 
Um, but remember, God's kingdom is so much different to the God's spiritual kingdom is the opposite to the kingdom of this world. And that is a secret, is knowing and understanding that God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom where victory comes by surrender. You know, in this world, victory does not come by surrender. It comes by striving and and pressing other people down. But in God's kingdom, victory comes by humility. So important for us. Friends, why don't we finish with prayer as we come to the end of our time today? And um, so let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to share with the people here in the Manawatu and the surrounding areas, praying, Lord, for your blessing upon our listeners and their families. Father, I pray that as we draw near Christmas, may we our minds not just be brought to uh, the, the festival, but may our minds be brought to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the one who came and showed us how to live our life and then sacrifice that perfect life on Calvary that we might be saved from sin and this world. And so, Lord, I pray um, for our listeners and your blessing upon them, giving thanks to you while asking this all. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends. Um, <clears throat> From all of us here at Amazing Grace, we pray that you will grow in grace. May the love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.npr.nz forward slash donate.